0: A good moral character is the first essential in a man. It is therefore highly important that you should endeavor not only to be learned,
1: but virtuous. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies.
0: On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the republic this week. We'll cover Tuesday's Democratic debate in our Hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week discussion. Please make sure to subscribe. Give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends, your family, if you're listening to it, you're liking it. They might listen to it. They might like it. And then uh, we'll spread like wildfire, like my teacher, Mr. Kennedy, used to say when I was in seventh
1: grade American history class. That's great. Yeah. All right. So let's start with the challenges this week. And before we get into our main topic, I just want to make a side note here. Uh, Some news has come out just as we're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon that the Trump campaign claims it's going to sue the New York Times for libel over an op ed piece that connected the Trump campaign to a, uh, a move to. Uh, change Russia policy in terms of its campaign against Hillary Clinton. And so they're saying that the New York Times knowingly published false and defamatory statements. We don't know whether this has actually been filed at the time that we're recording this or whether this is just one of those Trump moves to take attention away from other things that are going yeah, on. Yeah,
0: taking attention away from the fact that the market plunged 1,800 points over the course of the two of the last three days. It came back, obviously, on, when, on Wednesday. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's just throwing uh, more mud in the water so
1: that you can't see what's actually going on and what's actually failing. Yeah, yeah, I have some more thoughts about that. I think we'll hold that to to the end of the show. We, we've got a, a feature. Uh, I think that we're going to put that in. But I wanted to go back to our main topic, and and it basically ties into what we were talking about last week. Yes, without really knowing how everything connected. So last week we talked about. Uh, Richard Grinnell being appointed as the director of national intelligence. You pointed out how unqualified he was. Unqualified for that job. Yeah. And I talked about this evidence of more widespread Russian infiltration in the heartland of of the republic. And what we found out after we published that podcast last week is this was all connected. There is a connection in all these things. And what we found out since then is that the, the former Director of the National Intelligence uh, Agency, he had directed his folks to basically give a secret briefing to the leaders of the intelligence committees in Congress.
0: Which is led by Adam Schiff. In Adam and Schiff else.
1: is one of them. Yeah, that, that's in there. And basically he's telling them that, guess what, the Russians are— are gearing up for 2020. They're fully involved. Not only are they involved on the Trump side, but they are actually involved in the Sanders campaign. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. They, 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 I wouldn't say they're involved in the, in the Sanders campaign. Yeah, not in the campaign, but they're right. involved in terms of promoting the Sanders yes, candidacy. That's, 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 a better, that's a better way to say it.
0: Yeah. yeah, because the Trump campaign, even though they're saying that it's, it's terrible and we're going to sue you for libel, just with Donald Trump Jr., um, when Jr., uh, came out and was talking about uh, it would be great to have that or this is great news, I love it, right? Even that suggests at least there was some communication, some work that was happening to the two campaigns. Bernie Sanders' campaign is in no way, from any indication, showing that they're in any concert with the Russians. But it's also clear that the Russians are helping Donald Trump or want to help Donald Trump pick their opponent. And the Russians believe, whether they're smart or not, we'll get into a little bit later in the show, that the best opponent for their boy, the boy Donald Trump, is to bring Bernie Sanders. So they're doing what they can to help Bernie Sanders get that nomination. Right.
1: And Sanders' campaign has known about this for a little over a month, and we just found out about this. And I'll have a little bit more to say when we get into that discussion about how strategic this actually was. But for right now, I really want to focus on what this actually means for the republic. And can I speak to Richard Grinnell, please?
0: So the fact is, here's the facts. Fact is that it's coming out now that the head of um, the national intelligence comes out and says, hey, we've got a problem. And President Trump says, well, you know what? You're gone because all this is going to start coming out. I'm going to get rid of you now. Even though you were supposed to leave on March 11th, he was going to leave on March 11th. That's what the president said. That's what he squeaked out, you know, uh, at the press conference in India. He squeaked out that uh, he was going to be leaving on March 11th. So, you know, I discovered him a little early. Why? So he could put his little stooge, Richard Grinnell, who was a terrible ambassador to Germany by all indications, into this ever most important position for our country's safety. That's the
1: challenge to the republic. Yep. This week. That's one of them. Yes sir. Absolutely. Go ahead. But the uh, other one I, I actually want to talk about because we we've never actually talked about that this much in in our challenge of the week segment about what's happening on the Democratic side of the aisle. So I want to talk I want to spend a little time talking about Bernie Sanders. And we actually have had a note in our rundown for a few weeks that we've never gotten to, which is, is Bernie any different in the end in terms of strengthening or weakening the republic if he became uh, the president? And well, I think now we have an opening to talk about it. Let, right let's now. discuss that. What do yeah. you think? Well, I I have my concerns about his uh, his respect for the rule of law. And there's a couple things that I, that I want to point out. So On one hand, uh, let's talk about just the way he talks about the press. right. So he says all the right things. He says, uh, you know, I disavow any Russia involvement Mm -hmm. or any Russian collusion or there's there's nothing going on and I don't want anything to go on. And they need to get out of our uh, electoral system. By the same token, he also says, I also believe in freedom of the press and all these other things. And then what happens is that he disses the press. So, for example, when this news – in fact, when this news came out on Friday, the day before the Nevada caucuses, he was asked about this. He said – he was asked about this by reporters. You've known this for a month. Why did this, you know, just come out? And he said, yeah, you have to ask that question. Why did it come out? Washington Post, good friends they are. So he's sending that message that that there is some sort of – there's some sort of bias on the part of the media for doing this because they want to shut him down. So he says something on one hand, and then on the other hand, he sends that message, particularly to his supporters, that, yeah, you really can't trust the media. Forget okay, what I said let me, about let me
0: Let me give you my feedback on that, okay? So in my family, we learned something really cool from my son's third-grade teacher last year, uh, my older son. Uh, he, he would come up with a problem, and she would look at him and say, now, babe, is this, is this a, a, a pebble? or a stone, or a rock, or a boulder. What kind of a problem is this, right? So now in terms of President Trump and his dealings with the press, and his dealings with Russia, I call that a boulder, right? It's a boulder. It's a big old boulder. I'm not calling it a pebble with Bernie Sanders, but it is not to me in the same ballpark. I'm not going to be defending, I'm not going to spend a lot of time hearing me defend Bernie Sanders because I think his candidacy is troublesome, uh, dangerous in some ways. But I do not remotely put him into the same category as President Trump because he there, there there we have we don't have proof perhaps that President Trump colluded though as I talked about with Junior, um, with Junior when he was talking about I love it there was actual you know working together S- Sanders you don't get the idea that Sanders is looking out for another country other than ours and you do I get that feeling one might get that feeling when looking at President Trump and either dealing with Erdogan in, in Turkey or his his uh, his boss Putin in Russia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that there's a a wide distinction to be made
1: there. Yes, but I'm not I'm not comparing them as saying that they're the same. What I'm doing again, putting this in the context of the health of the republic. Mm -hmm. And if you've already if you are already suffering from a range of ailments that has you on death's door, and you get a common cold, that's going to kill you. Okay. So it might it might be a pebble. It might be a big. (laughs) It might be a small rock. But it could kill you because of where we are right now. If we weren't where we are right now, I think we'd be having a different conversation. Again, if this was 2016 rather than 2020 without Donald Trump in the White House— I think we're having this discussion in a different... We've been looking at that that rock in a different perspective because there isn't a boulder to compare it to.
0: Right, because in 2016, the question wasn't whether the the republic was going to survive or not. That wasn't the question at hand. The question was, who's going to be the next president? and How's that going to work out? Now we're in a different situation and a different story. Okay. Um, you know, There was an interesting, fabulous, fun read um, in the New York Times the other day. Thomas Friedman wrote this op-ed um and he he basically said you want to beat Trump uh democrats this is how you can win in a landslide and essentially what he said was combine forces we heard this before we've heard we've heard this idea before uh and i had heard rumblings that bloomberg was going to do this before he even got in the race that he was going to start announcing one cabinet member a week but basically what he's saying is let's imagine that sanders is the president sanders is your president his Or the nominee, he was saying, as the nominee, make these announcements ahead of time. I forgot who he said. Oh, no, I think he said Stacey Abrams for vice president. Um, And then Joe Biden would be the secretary of state. Um, The secretary of treasury would be Michael Bloomberg. The district attorney would be Kamala Harris. The... the, urban uh i forget what that that cabinet position is called housing and Um, urban development yes thank you it would be cory booker and the first thing i thought was wow you're losing all your senators but the second thing i thought was wow what a great team what a fantastic team to put together whether they they had either had it as sanders or bloomberg i think after to last night uh, after the debate the other day that it is more sanders or biden perhaps um, but i do like the idea except we agreed that andrew yang as the secretary of energy doesn't really no, make oh,
1: secretary oh, of labor that makes, labor makes more sense that makes a lot of sense okay.
0: he's the one who's talking about the future of work so right. there's something to that in right. oh, so Klobuchar, so he called this he called this a team was the
1: VP. Klobuchar, yeah he called this a team of rivals yeah. and that actually harkens back to uh, abraham lincoln when Abraham Lincoln assembled his cabinet, that's exactly what he did. A team of rivals, people who he thought were top-notch in their fields, who could go back at him, who could push him and bring alternate views to the table. That's so and, that, did. Right? and that, you know, that he was up to the task of having those alternate views at the table. You know that he could handle that. That's so Abraham Lincoln. So there is and Washington. Washington, I always thought, I always considered this as I was playing
0: the role. Washington loved having smarter people at the table than himself, and he never claimed that he was the smartest person at the table. He wanted to hear what everyone had to say. Sometimes he didn't agree. Sometimes he didn't go along, but he always wanted to hear, especially in that critical moment of the birth of our nation. And now in the in the possible close of our nation, we it is equally critical. It's a it's a very it's a, I, I highly I commend it to you, as Tony Kornheiser would say on his podcast. He always says, that yeah. I commend this. Yeah, to yeah it was, it was an interesting it, it was
1: you. an interesting article. Um, in fact, I heard I, I'm sorry that I can't give the proper attribution to whoever tweeted this, but somebody said you can retitle this article Avengers Assemble. Yeah, um,
0: it's got that feeling. And it it's or in bad. our case,
1: it would be Guardians. Uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's
0: true. Yeah. It's the, it's all the it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Um, the only problem is if if one of the moderates did this, I could see it happening. Right. I right. see if Joe Biden is the
1: nominee, um, but if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, I don't think he goes that route. And, and he's already given that indication that he wouldn't go that route. Uh, his one of his campaign aides or spokespeople has already said that. Uh, th- that if he is the nominee, that Mike Bloomberg can take his money and go home. That yeah. he doesn't want his help. This is my problem with Bernie Sanders, is that he's being driven. So he's not being driven by Russia. He's, but I don't think he's also being driven by America writ large in the way that you and I talk about America. He's being driven by an ideology and a way that he views things ought to be in a much more ideological way, not in, a, in an yeah. end product of you know people getting together and the, and the system working well. No, no. But, but without that ideology, without that ideology, he's nothing. I mean, really,
0: he's nothing. Without that absolute commitment, if he turned to Mayor Bloomberg and said, yes, I'll take your money, I'll take, all, I'll take 400 million this month and I'll take 120 million next month and we'll defeat this guy. All of a sudden, the thing that people are drawn to him about goes away. He is, he is as authentic. You know, we used to talk about President Trump, the president, uh, Donald Trump. We used to talk about him and his authenticity um, because he was so rude. Well, look, he's so authentic. He's so rude. Well, people really liked that about him in 2016. It was part yeah. of the reason why he became the president of the United States. Part of what people are enjoying about Bernie Sanders, the excitement behind it, is you look at him and you go, you know, this guy really feels what he's saying. And he's not willing. We've talked about this. You know, what he said about fracking in Pennsylvania. He's gonna lose Pennsylvania. What he said about um Israel in Florida. He's gonna lose Florida. And he, Castro and forget
1: about Israel and, and Castro. Castro, right, sorry, put Castro. The
0: two But <laughs> Florida's out. If Pennsylvania's I, yeah. out. But he's, he's pure. Say, yeah, right. If he, says he, he about, he
1: if he says something about cheese, he'll lose Wisconsin too. Um <laughs> well, Wisconsin might
0: already be gone, but yeah. <laughs> and and one would think, but but again, this is the this is the tricky part. This is why I have a friend who who, you know knows that my I have concerns, as many people do, I'm not I'm on a unique boat here, where I'm like, yo, Sanders, if he's the nominee, you're not just talking about losing the White House, but you're losing the House. You're losing the Senate. And then all of a sudden, we have England circa 2019, right? We have the Boris Johnson uh, debacle that we just had. At the same right. time, it is that which makes him viable, which makes him possible to actually win while watching that debate, you you look there and you say, who's got the stuff to stand up to try? Ain't going to be Mayor Bloomberg. Not the way he's talking. Not the yeah. way he communicates. Not the way he tries to tell jokes. Right? Right. So this is the one guy who
1: actually could throw the punch that could knock the guy out. Yeah. And, here, and here, if we wanted to segue into the kind of the strategy part of this discussion, is that there's a difference between Sanders and Trump. And I think in 2016, my view is Sanders would have definitely won. From my talking to those kinds of voters who were those swing voters in in the Ohio Valley, in the middle of Pennsylvania, is they are not ideologically driven. And we talk about Sanders being, we don't, but the pundits talk about Sanders being too far to the left for those voters. That's not true because most of those voters are not ideology voters. They are voters who are looking for something else, a, a personality characteristic. And in fact, I have polling that tells us this, that there are voters out there, more than one in four voters, who say it doesn't matter to them what the ideology of the candidate is. It matters to them what their level of experience is or what their outsider status is. And I think Donald, uh, Bernie Sanders could have won those voters over in 2016. But looking ahead again to November and the November campaign, if Sanders is the nominee, the Mm. one thing that we don't know about is what the word socialism will mean in the context of that campaign. We know that there are moderate Republicans in suburban areas who don't like that term for economic reasons. uh, But I have a feeling that the word socialism is not going to be about the economy. It is going to be about peripheral things that the Trump campaign will be very successful in attaching to socialism. Like like. Like, uh, like, totalitarianism. <laughs> like, like, you can't right, right. The they are going to sell.
0: They're going to exactly, say exactly.
1: they you're. Uh, you're laughing because of the irony of, of of the hypocrisy of them trying to do that. But you can be successful. This is what they've shown all sure. along. They can be very successful in doing that. And what will happen is they will they will change the definition of socialism, so that that is the that's the definition that's out there that people these these voters that. You need to win over, hook onto, and Bernie Sanders, because he's Bernie Sanders, will not be able to pivot. Will not be able to move away from that definition. And what he will do is he will double down on yes, I am a socialist, but that's With not that what it smile means. He has. But that's not what it means. But and by that time, but the point, by the point he says yes, I am a socialist, but nobody listens to the but. They say yes, you are a socialist, and the definition of socialist is what. The Trump campaign has been extremely successful in putting it out there in the public. That's, yeah. that's where I feel the big weakness of Bernie Sanders as a, uh, as a nominee, as a general election candidate. Would be is that his, because he is so tied into that ideology mm-hmm. that when he doesn't realize that the other side can change the definition of the term on him, and he gets, a, he doesn't he gets pick that little up smile on,
0: that. on his face when he says he's a socialist. You're a socialist,
1: yeah, yeah, I him. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. But he because gives, he's so committed,
1: because he is yeah. so committed but to without that
0: without that commitment, what is he? He's nothing,
1: yeah, right. Without well, and that, he's nothing. Well, this is why he is doing so well, I think, in these these polls so well. He's winning 24 – he won 34 percent of the initial preference vote in Nevada, which is the big haul so far because nobody's gotten more than 25, 26 percent anywhere. But he's doing well enough because of the certainty that he provides, that he offers in a race in which Democratic voters are looking for a certainty. They are looking for some, some assurance of this is, a, this is a candidate who I can trust to be strong through November. And Bernie Sanders, for whether you like him or not, has been a candidate who said, "Don't worry, anything that that gets thrown at me i'm not changing i'm here'm I'm, I'm, I'm stable uh and that yeah, there is an appeal to that
0: yeah there is a there's a definite appeal to that, but we'll see i I go back to this moment in two thousand and sixteen. John Kasich had just left the Republican race, just left, probably about four months too late for someone else to have a chance right mm-hmm. and he was asked, he was on one of the networks, and he was asked, who do you think is going to be the nominee from the Democratic side? And, and Bernie was sort of thriving, you know, and he went, he just laughed and shook his head and said, Bernie Sanders is never going to be the president of the United States. And the person said, well, why? And he just said, he said, you think that America is going to elect a socialist to be the president? No. <laughs> he just laughed. Every time I think about, I always think about John Kasich in that spot. Now, he may be wrong. But what he's saying is, America won't stand for that. Mm-hmm. And that's the danger. I mean, that's why you have people, Mayor Pete up there, you know, talking over people. And, you know, everyone's hair is on fire saying, we got to stop this. And that's why. But you let's, know, let's why. talk
1: about, you know, what you brought up is why would Russia want. Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. And I'm I'm not even sure that they want him necessarily to be the nominee, but why would they be promoting his candidacy? Because even if he's not the nominee, here's, here's what happens. Is he does well, but not well enough. And we go into a contested convention. And he ends up not being the nominee in that brokered convention. Well, then he takes his, you know, he takes his blocks and goes home, right? And he takes his yeah. followers with him. And that promotes... Not all of them. Yeah, but that promotes uh chaos within the Democratic Party, which is what the Republicans, which which is what the Republicans want. It's what the Russians want as well. If he does become the nominee, it has the same effect. There's this, there's this, Divide in the in the Democratic Party. It's less some of a the, divide in the Democratic Party right. if Bernie is the nominee than if Bernie is not. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not making any. Pre- I'm glad I'm that you feel predi- comfortable I, making predictions. But I'll make it. I, I, I am not what because is I think you sue
0: me for libel. <laughs> I, I'll make it. I'll make it. Yes. I'll, I'll say this on the Democratic side. I'm not speaking about independents, and I'm not speaking about moderate Republicans. I'm not going to speak to that. But I will say this: that the moderate Democrats are going to get on board with. Whomever I think that's a proper use, whomever is running against the president, because the existential danger to the nation is so high. That whatever you got to put up with, you take, because and everyone has to get on board. It is it is an absolute necessity, you know. Otherwise, yep. Ben Sasse will have another four years of cow to, and, and, you know, losing his soul on a daily basis as he shrivels up into the corner and claims that he was once a human being of, of note and, and honor, which we can no longer say about Ben Sass. All right. Ben Sass. Okay. I I I know you had to, you had to squeeze in the
1: requisite uh, Ben Sass. It's because, and once again, to explain why, yeah,
0: because I'm so disappointed because I had such high hopes because I admired him because I thought he was a good man. I thought he was someone who cared more about the country than his own hide, and he is not. Mm-hmm. So that's why so, I'm So back his name. to
1: but back to Bernie again as as the nominee, uh, I, and I agree with you to a certain extent in the terms of the, that most Democrats and Democratic officeholders are pragmatic, and they're going to look to say, okay, to what extent can we get behind the nominee? And also win our competitive races that we just uh, won in these House districts in 2018. How can we hold on to them? How can we make the Senate competitive uh, and and make some inroads into taking back the Senate? Because that's going to be key as well with Bernie at the top. Not just because he's a socialist, but I think the other part of it is just Bernie is going to make it very difficult for people to work with him because that's who he is. Because if he wins the nomination, he will say, it's my party now. You you know get on the train or not. This is this is the way you have to look at things. You know the big tent I think collapses if Bernie Sanders is, is the nominee. So no, I think well, I think either no. way I think either way it makes it difficult. All right, let's move on to polling because you've got you've got you have a new poll coming out uh, right now. I mean so it'll be out I think uh, when we publish this uh, in South okay. Carolina. All so right, we're looking we at we're South sure? Carolina poll. Uh, we have Biden up pretty big, thirty six percent over Whoa. over Thir- Bernie Sanders at sixteen percent. for Biden to 16% for Sanders and 15% for Steyer, who's making some inroads in South Carolina. That's pretty good the other night. Everybody else is in the single digits. Uh, And and we still have a big undecided block, but that undecided block of 15% tends to be moderate black voters uh, who haven't fully uh, hooked on to a candidate yet. One of the things that— Well, James Clyburn came out and Well, all these things happened after we finished polling. The debate on Tuesday night— and Jim Clyburn's endorsement came out after we polled, and I think that's going to help solidify Joe Biden.
0: Oh, yeah, man.
1: I mean, I think that that, that is
0: a big game
1: changer right there. If this poll does turn out to be prescient, and that's and it, nothing changes between now and what happens on Saturday in South Carolina, and, and Biden has a very big win, yeah, that could change the dynamic significantly about this nomination process, particularly around Sanders. Uh, and what his chances are. And this is what, one of my problems has been all along with these prognosticators out there, these aggregators who put the polls together. You say prognosticators the way I say sas. Yes, is because what they do is, like, we try to put out polling numbers that tell you what's going on right now. Things can change. It's very volatile. But this is why things are happening right now. This is what people are looking for in a candidate. And the prognosticators say, well, that doesn't matter. All that matters is, can we use these numbers to predict what's going to happen? We need to predict. We need to be able—we are not a news agency, and all of them work for news agencies. We are not a news agency unless we can predict. So we're going to throw out all the explanatory material that you have in your polls about why we think the way we do, what's the, on the minds of the public, what's in the minds of voters. And we'll only use the numbers that are going to help us create these models in order to predict what's going to happen because that's the only thing that's, that's the only thing that's newsworthy. Up until we got to Iowa, they're all telling us, "Hey, uh, Joe Biden's the front runner. Joe Biden's the front runner." And then suddenly, no, Bernie Sanders is the front runner. And then they got their models about what's going to happen on Super Tuesday. Then they're going to all fall apart in Super Tuesday when those results come in. And then the models are going to change significantly. Well, if your models are changing from day to day based on these things that are happening, are you really telling us anything that we really know that helps us? Live our lives better. That helps us be more informed. No, what you're doing is you're is you're treating politics just like it's a game. Can I can I speak? Let me let me take the other side on this just
0: for a minute, okay? The news is so tough. To me, it's kind of fun to think about it. Now, look, it's hard to measure. It's like when you play chess and the uh, one piece moves on the board, and then all of a sudden, every piece moves on the board. Now, I don't know that that's what happened in the debate in the Democratic debate, the South Carolina debate. I don't know that that's what happened. I don't know that a peace move that changes things so drastically. I do, but I do think things definitely did shift. Do you want to talk a little bit about what
1: Steve Kornacki uh, put out there? This is how I would like to think about these things. So Steve Kornacki put out a tweet uh, a few days ago about Bernie Sanders and reasons, and it was like a two-part tweet, reasons why he will get the nomination and reasons why he won't. And, and rather than trying to use that to predict, it was this is a really well balanced statement about where the the field stands right now. So what what is it positive about Bernie Sanders? Well Democratic voters like him, and this is true in all our polls. They do. In all our polls, he gets one of the best favorable to unfavorable ratios among Democratic voters of any of the candidates, and he's been holding on to that. Um, so it's hard to 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 you know, people who want to migrate to Bernie Sanders have an easy time of it because it's not somebody that dislike, like uh, Mike Bloomberg, who has very high negative ratings relative to the rest of the field. Yes, um, he especially also, with those jokes. right? Also, if the field narrows, a lot of our polling suggests that, particularly in big states like California, that head-to-head he does very well. He is attracting more non-white support this time than he did in 2016, particularly mm-hmm. among Hispanics, but he's also doing decently among African-Americans, and that's South Carolina will be a test of exactly how well he's doing with that. Uh, and so, you know, that those are the positives uh, for Bernie Sanders. The negatives that, that Kornacki listed are, and this is the ones that I keep focusing on, yes, he's in the lead nationally, but he's not breaking 30 percent. And in fact, nobody's broken more than 35% in any early result or any polling going all the way back to May of last year. And so we keep talking about frontrunners, and this is my problem. We keep talking about frontrunners, but we, we don't have a frontrunner who's ever, in the, in the course of this entire campaign, had more than a third of the support of Democratic yeah, voters. Yeah, but when,
0: what did John Kerry have in 2004 when he came out of New Wins, Iowa? Right.
1: And that's the point. He had nothing. But when he got to New Hampshire, his number wasn't nothing. Yeah, but that's that's but but my point was is that we are framing this. We're using these polls to say who's ahead, who's behind, to frame these things, and these things can turn on a dime. But the thing is, everybody wants to to know well who's ahead, how many points are they ahead, rather than saying, "Oh, wait a second, the front runner, the supposed front runner, only has thirty percent support, meaning the other seventy percent are still (laughs) not sure where they're they're going." And that's and and the the media doesn't want to talk about this, and this is why. And again, Kornacki lists this is a reason that you got to stop and think about this. At the end of the day, it's not like Sanders has got forty percent going into Super Tuesday; he's got less than thirty percent. But everyone else Super has Tuesday. got nine to eleven percent, or more, which Makes but, him but, but the wildly thing is, strong. No, it doesn't, because nine to eleven percent is much easier to jump up to thirty percent if you have a good showing, like in South Carolina for Joe Biden. Biden, yeah, and then Biden that changes, that and that changes the national numbers significantly. If Bernie Sanders was ahead by 10 points with 50% of the vote, then Bernie Sanders would be a much more formidable frontrunner than being ahead by 10 points with 30% of the vote.
0: Maybe, but Super Tuesday, I, I, the reason I think that he is such a strong frontrunner and I still feel that he is such a strong frontrunner is because so many
1: of the delegates are going to be decided so soon. Now, Biden yeah, but can, can you change d- the story. You got Arkansas. On Super Tuesday. You got Say Arkansas. Again? You got Virginia. You got Oklahoma. There's polls out of Texas that suggest Biden could be strong there. Okay, we're looking at California, a place where has the biggest delegate hall of all the states. That's going to be on Super Tuesday. And Bernie Sanders is doing well. I do believe, based on all the polling right now, unless something really significant changes, Bernie Sanders will be the top vote getter. And I want to say that very clearly the top vote getter, not necessarily the winner. in the sense that well, top, vote, top voter, get, yes, in California.
0: Do you think there's a question as to who might get more delegates out of California? No, no, he's
1: going to get more delegates. The question oh, okay. is how many more delegates will he get? The question is who else will go get over viability? The more candidates that get over viability and come close to Sanders, the more split that delegate hall is. So Bernie, this is what I'm saying. There's, there's a couple of scenarios where Bernie Sanders wins California, where he walks out with a majority of the delegates, or where the delegates are more evenly split. And in yeah. both those scenarios, Bernie Sanders is quote-unquote the winner, but in a significantly different way, substantively, as regards the delegates. Okay, let's move on to
0: our hot take segment. This week, we're going to look at how the Democratic contenders did in the South Carolina debate. We're going to give each candidate 90 seconds. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next candidate. So we're going to start out with... Vice President Joseph Biden. What did you think of how he did?
1: Joseph Robinette Vi- Biden. Um, is his middle name really Robinette? Robinette. Yeah, that's his middle name. Yeah, I still uh, like so, him. Uh, Joe Biden had a good debate. Now, I think in if you took it out of the context of, of that debate and put him in a, in one of the earlier debates, you'd say ah, he had a fair debate. He had a decent mm-hmm. debate. But because it was such a, uh, a, a rumble in Charleston there that he came out looking good. And I think— I jokingly said he won the debate with this moment and it was the moment where he stopped as he tends to do sometimes and say, okay, my time's up. And in the past, it kind of looked like a stumble or whatever, yeah. but he was saying, that's my Catholic school training. And then Gail King gives him the assist with uh, yes, you're a gentleman yes. trying to be a gentleman. And it was like, boom, this is a different candidate than everybody else who's on the stage. In a
0: way, yeah and he did have his moment where he said that 150 million people had been killed by guns since Bernie Sanders had voted for this gun law. Um, that was a typical Biden moment um, but he he what he does from an actor perspective that he does well is he stands and listens quite nicely mm-hmm. he's, he's in someone I saw someone say how presidential he looked that's part of it yeah say so he, he actually understands how to comport himself on the stage and last night interestingly also the one guy he went after was Steyer and he he went after Bernie too no question but he also went after Steyer because I think that there's you know if he can get some of those votes in South Carolina his numbers right. are going to go up even higher right right exactly we've we've spoken quite a bit about Bernie Sanders today in fact this is the Bernie Sanders episode without question um but let's talk about specifically what you thought and what I thought of his debate last night what did you think
1: Well, this is the first time that I think he was in a hostile environment. Yeah. Uh, And the audience was even hostile and booed him a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, uh, so he was a little bit more hot headed in the the way that he came back. But this is what what you've been saying all along is that he's proven the fact. And what I say, every time you see a debate with Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders. What did you think?
0: I I, I thought that he handled himself rather well. Mm -hmm. The booing was an interesting moment. He's like, oh, you don't like that? Oh, 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 you don't like that? It was funny. Um, But he's very good on the debate stage. Like we were talking about, incredibly consistent. He believes what he believes. He's going to say what he thinks. He's going to get his point across. And in a way, it's it's his strength and his weakness. He don't care whether you like it or not. He's going to tell you what he thinks. So I, I think... We look back to when Biden was at the center of the stage and everyone went after Biden and Biden shrunk. We look at Klobuchar, not Klobuchar, she was never in the center. When Warren was in the center of the stage, boy, did she shrink. When Mayor Pete was in the center of the stage and he was taking incoming fire, could not stand up to it. Bernie stood up to it last night. Yeah. It, that's my estimation. I thought he held his own. Yes. That's as far, because they were, I mean, they were hitting him with nuclear bombs over there.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think he had the incoming. Um, he was He was fighting. He was scrappy. Uh, again, he's not going to change, but I do think, again, it reveals some of the weaknesses if we look ahead to a general election. All right. So let's move on to, and you've already kind of jumped the gun on this, but what do you have to add about Mike Bloomberg?
0: (laughs) Michael Bloomberg, you know, uh, all that money, he probably should have gotten a better coach. Uh, he did the best he could. And the problem is his best isn't good enough.
1: Is he coachable? Uh,
0: is he willing to be coached? No, no, no that, that's the point. You yeah. need to have a good enough coach to look at him and say, you're not good at this. And until you're willing to rebuild, you're using a baseball analogy, rebuild your swing, your $64 billion does not play here. And that's what I saw last night. I was like, what a waste. You know, we, we everyone's put in all this time, energy, effort. He's so badly liked, he's so m- disliked in the Democratic Party, and he's not charismatic enough, even in, he didn't have an, he's got less charisma in his whole body than Barack he, Obama had in has his little no, pinky. He has no
1: affect on his face.
0: Well, what no. He stands up there. That's coached. He right. has affect. The oh. problem is, his affect is one, he looks like he always smells rotten eggs. Yeah. And what they told him was that's not going to work. But and he changes it. It's, it's rotten eggs, but he, and it never changes. It doesn't move. Well, it doesn't, again, it doesn't move because in his prep, they're saying, you can't make that face, Mike, or Mr. Mayor, or Mr. Bloomberg. You're not allowed to make that face because people aren't going to like you because you look like a mean boss, and you spent the last 35 years taking orders from no one. And so he's not nice. I mean, I, I don't know him personally. I
1: can't say that, but that's the feeling that you get. The other thing that I, yeah, again, you get that he's not coachable or willing to be coached is, are, are that were the lines, the practice lines. And they were really bad lines. They were just horrible lines.
0: No, you think you could afford no, better lines? Uh, no, they were badly delivered. Look, you could say the New York City where the only city in the world where the Naked Cowboy is there. But um, boom, and moving on. He just paused for by the wife. Nobody Don't,
1: outside who's who's never been in New York knows who the Naked Cowboy is. No, but if I you, didn't. but but anyway, you can sell that next, line. Next up, <laughs> next you can up, sell it, dummy. Next up is, Not Elizabeth, you, him. is Elizabeth Warren. What do you think of her performance?
0: Well, as I said earlier, I felt like. Uh, uh, Senator Warren was is uh, holding her spot. Uh, she's, you know, I think she really believes she'd be the best president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are moments when she's talking where I look at her and I go, you'd be the best of all of them. Um, but she realizes that the die is cast. I mean, she's not going to make the final table here, using a poker analogy. Um, So it's hard. It's hard for her. So she's going to take as many swings as she can. She got positive reinforcement. A little bit like Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. If you ever saw that movie, he was so good in that movie, and he won his Academy Award for it, right? But show me the money. And then every movie he was in for the next 10 years, show me the money. It was different lines, but he was doing the same level of acting. Same thing happened with Al Pacino after Son of a Woman. Elizabeth Warren got so many cookies for beating up on Mayor Bloomberg, that's all she's got left, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think the, the issue that I see is all the pundits saying, why is she going after Bloomberg when? bloomberg is is not the, the the person that she needs to to elbow out and i think you know one of the things that pundits don't realize is sometimes you, you'll go after somebody out of principle and the principle for ah. her was you know bloomberg stands for everything that she is against in terms of you know the power of the financial industry that is a very and, very, and, very good point and also you know he backed he backed her opponent because of that. Yeah, because that of her, was, what her position that was. That
0: was that was like a, yeah. a chilling moment in the so, debate. So this me. is this is
1: real. This is real stuff for her going after Bloomberg <laughs> and not 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 strategic. Right. Not
0: hey, strategic. listen. If you're only going to listen to one side of that argument, listen to Patrick's because I yeah. think that was really good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next up, Pete Buttigieg. I was somewhat Pete? disappointed. Here's an example of a candidate who is has a weakness, and then tries to fix the weakness. And in the process of fixing that weakness of being too polite and being too soft spoken oversteps the other way Mm -hmm. and then loses part of what it is that makes him so good, which is that you have when you look at Mayor Pete, you see someone who's essentially a good human, right, who's looking out for other people. If you're going to spend the whole time talking over people and not stopping, you're going to lose that little part of it. And that's what I saw from Mayor Pete last night. Again, some really great moments because he's a wonderful communicator. But not a good night for
1: Mayor Pete from my eyes. Yeah, I thought the the talking over was uh, a different tactic and one that wasn't particularly, as you said, it wasn't presidential. It was this is this is vice presidential. In fact, this is what you want your vice presidential candidate to do on huh. your behalf, right? Yeah. You want him to be to, do the things that don't look particularly presidential, but will help take down the opponent. And I think that is is what he was trying out. It's that, that
0: Julian Castro vibe, the Castro? You know, did on a regular, sort of on a regular basis. That was his angle that he went on, and I, I, I understand why Mayor Pete was doing that. I understand the necessity to do it. The, the sort of, we gotta, we gotta stop this because we're gonna lose the whole country, and I'm coming from the center of the country, and I need to, to do my part. But but, I don't think it, but it, it didn't sound him. like,
1: he, yeah, it didn't sound. He wasn't making an argument for himself as president. He was making more of an argument about why the others shouldn't be.
0: Now, that, that was I've, I've got something interesting to say, but I'm going to lead into this. Tell me about Amy
1: Klobuchar. So Amy Klobuchar, the closing statement that she made in the New Hampshire debate, so going back two debates, debates ago, was her pinnacle. And it's been yep. downhill for her ever since. Yep. Uh, so I thought she did okay the last debate you really went after. Her. This debate, oh. it was like somebody who came out and, and said from the very beginning, I'm not being heard I'm not being heard. I'm going to try to be heard. Please hear me.
0: But I, I saw it very differently. If you go back to the first 20 minutes of that debate and you watch Amy Klobuchar, her first 20 minutes, she was on her behavior. Because she got slammed so badly from the Nevada debate, mm-hmm. from um, getting into that argument with Mayor Pete and that argument with the, more importantly, with the moderator, the NBC moderator. That, you know, and it was sort of like the mean Amy was coming out and... Yeah. In the first 20 minutes, she was like sitting on her hands. She didn't want to... She looked like an actor who had been sort of... Had her hands slapped by the director saying, that's too big, you can't do that. And then they become so sort what, of tentative. So what about
1: after the first 20 minutes?
0: Then she started realizing that she wasn't getting anywhere. And then she started uh, throwing throwing her hands around a little bit more. But it was the first 20 minutes I was like, oh yeah, she's really feeling... You know, it's so sad for yeah, her. I just got it,
1: more of that. I guess more of the... Towards the tail end, I just got that feeling that... that her voice was raised. Through, what, yeah. There was there was no modulation in her voice. It was slipping. you're not you. People aren't listening to me.
0: She's slipping. She's slipping, and that it's yeah. it's like God forbid. It's like drowning, right? It's like that moment where you're like, it's going away and it's never coming back. I feel bad for Amy Klobuchar. She deserves better.
1: All right. So the next one up, Tom Steyer, new guy. See on now, podcast. Tom Steyer. If there was, you know, I thought he did, I thought he did by far his best
0: debate. In the in the prior episodes, I've told you that I have fast forwarded through his stuff because who cares? Mm-hmm. Well, last night, he was standing there and he had 15% of the people behind him. And he mm-hmm. was feeling pretty confident about himself. He had some power because Biden took the time to go after him. I thought that Steyer, at, at, there was a certain moment, there was a moment there where I thought, you know, I don't know how many billions Steyer has. But I wish he had Bloomberg's millions because if he had Bloomberg's millions and he promised to put all that money into the campaign the way that Bloomberg is promising to do, you could almost get behind this guy, you know, like there might be value to that. So I was impressed. I was more impressed by Tom Starr than I've been ever since he first came into the campaign.
1: I I agree with you that he gave a better debate than he had before, that he looked like he belonged up on the stage. Remember, I think one of the first times that he was on the stage, we said that's exactly our, our opinion was that... He didn't look like he thought he belonged there. Uh, so I agree with you on that. But other than that, I mean, this is Ty- Styer's last stand. Uh, he poured uh, of the tens of millions that he's spent. He Good spent time. almost all of it in uh, South, Carolina. South Carolina. Well, he's doing some in California too, I believe. Yeah, I mean, he's spending some money in California, but in terms of of the real impact that he's having, so he needs a big showing out of. South it Carolina, happen, is it? I mean, I mean, is there any indication
0: what would happen? Well, let me ask you this pollster of the year. What happens if Biden wins? Steyer comes in
1: second and Bernie comes in third. That's a good question. Depends. Right. Again, it depends on the difference between the two. If, if Steyer gets uh gets a delegate, then the question is for the March 15th debate, which is after Super Tuesday, who gets? Who qualifies? Right now, anybody who has a delegate qualifies for the debates. Will the DNC change the rules?
0: Okay, so now let's go into the overall. We're going to do ninety seconds just on what we think
1: overall of the debate. Uh, first, real quick, what did you think of the moderators? I think the the moderators were a big part of the show. They they always are, but I think they're a big part of the show tonight. I don't think they were particularly great. Gail King, I, I want to who who hosts a morning show. And I think she was dealing with this, like she was talking to her guests on a morning show. And that actually, I think, gave an assist to Joe Biden.
0: Right. right? Because, you
1: know, he said he's a gentleman that, uh, that uh, he, you know, then she said, yeah, you are being a gentleman. And I think that helped him put that presidential stamp on.
0: I'm going to give a big thumbs down to the Democratic uh, candidates for president because they did not talk about the rule of law or the president or where things are going with our country they were talking about the differences between them that is not what's going to win you this that's not what's going to win what's going to win is I'm the one who can take on the guy who's breaking the republic yep. that could that would make the difference yep. all right so now we're going to move on to this this is our guardian of the week discussion we've had our guardian of the week and then last week for the first time we went with the traitor of the week we got some feedback i got some feedback i believe you did too where it was suggested that instead of the traitor of the week it could be the betrayer of the republic of the week mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go with that, at least for now. If you have a
1: different opinion on it, we're, we're we're fluid, man. We're open. We're figuring stuff out as we go. But what I think we should talk about is what's going on this week about around the coronavirus. Yeah. Because I think that's going to have significant impact and is probably going to point out to us some betrayers of the republic and potentially some guardians of the republic, depending on who steps forward. Because right now it sounds like that the federal government is trying to put its head in the sand and saying this is, go- this is going to go away. So the, president's, uh, the leader of the President's Economic Council, Larry Kudlow, is saying, yeah. we've contained this. We've contained this. I wouldn't that's say terrible. airtight, but pretty close to airtight. That's a quote from him. We've yeah. contained this. Trump, the stock markets are looking good. So what are the messages coming out of, of, of the Trump administration around the coronavirus? We're worried about its impact on the economy. Yeah. We're worried about the, the fall in the stock market that's not going to look good for Donald Trump. Not that we're worried about what's going to happen to children. Yes. What's going to happen to older people? And then, and, and they, and they shot down Dr. Nancy uh, Messonnier uh, from the CDC, who was giving the president uh, giving the briefing, and she said it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when the virus hits the U.S. And basically, everybody jumped on her, and the, and the president was mad, and others in the administration were mad. She never should have said that.
0: I'm going to give a glimmer of a guardian of the week to uh, John Kennedy, who the the senator from Louisiana, who took the head of Homeland Security to task, um, saying that your answers are not acceptable. Do we have enough masks? I don't know. Well, how do you not know? This is the biggest threat to our nation. Richard Shelby coming out and saying, we've got problems. We've got to handle this. You know, the the Republican senators all of a sudden see a problem. Um You know, Do you think it's—this is going to sound so off-brand—do you think it's almost unfair to the president to say that his—you know, there's a lot of talk that if coronavirus really hits, he takes a huge hit for his election, something he's very concerned about. Is that fair?
1: We don't know. I mean, certainly, if we look back, George W. Bush took a hit in his ratings after Katrina. Yeah, that was fair, because he handled it terribly. So has Trump handled it terribly? Well— This is the question. So the CDC, which is responsible for the response here, and uh, what do they do when basically they're being told by everybody from the Trump and from the president on down through his administration is pretend that this is not as bad as it is. Okay, Right. And so this is very very similar to what happened with uh, whatever that hurricane was that didn't hit Alabama. Uh, and the National Weather Service, you know, right? What, what happened with the National right. Weather Service? They basically got kowtowed into some folks in the National Weather Service. says, No, we're not going to we're not going to tell Alabama that there's a hurricane coming when there's not and panic those people. This was much more serious because yeah. will people like Dr. Uh, Messonnier step forward in the CDC and say, my I have to do what is necessary for the safety of the country, regardless of what I'm being told by the president of the United States and his Yeah, people. because
0: these people aren't like Ben Sass or Susan Collins or Lisa right. Murkowski or Lamar Alexander and don't care about the country or the people. That, that you know, the, the, they, will, they will step forward and they will speak up. Okay, now we're going to just move on now to our final thought. And Patrick, you have a, a, a fun final thought to share. So let's get to it.
1: What do you, you got? You've asked me, because I've been watching this TV show for, since it was first on the air. Now, a lot of people have caught on to it, and this is Schitt's Creek, which is on pop TV here in the U.S., but it's really a Canadian production. And I grew up not watching Saturday Night Live, but I grew up watching SCTV. Did you really? Yes. That's, the Friday Night I,
0: Show with Martin Short and I mean, John yeah, Candy? Martin Short
1: and John Candy, but with, with Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, uh, and who star in Schitt's <laughs> Creek. And, that, and that's why. So when, it, when I first like was... Flipping through, because I don't watch a lot of episodic TV on, on, the, on the network broadcast. No, you did watch Turn, which I'm grateful I did for. watch Turn. Um, I'm grateful for that. But, uh, so I don't. But I said, oh, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, I love these people, um, always have, and let me just watch this show. And it hooked me in, because it's so different. It's one of those strange comedies that is both very edgy on one hand, and also, on the other hand, it can
0: be very sweet. Well, you know, I watched the very first episode because of the cast. And I it's, it's about rich people who lose all their money and end up moving like into a hotel or something. Is that right. correct? Right. They're right. moving to a
1: motel in a town they happen to own. Because right. Because they bought it at one point when they were very rich. I, when I when I watched it, it was years ago, I think I watched it. Because I was like, yeah, hey, right. Eugene Levy. Like you five years ours. ago. Right. I was like, you know, there you go.
0: Let's give it a look. And I, I, I was like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this. But I will now, with your commendation I will I commend it. Patrick commends this to you Good. like I like I do the Thomas Friedman article um, I will give it another look yeah, Where yeah. where is it on? is it on Hulu
1: it, it's, right? well, I don't know where it's, it's it, it, the air it airs on Pop TV it's ending it's last season right now I think this is five seasons There, it's streaming someplace I don't remember where it's streaming but you'll easy, easily find it but again it's not and I think why you felt creeped out it's not typical American comedy it's much more Canadian comedy which is why I liked SCTV more than SNL it, back then and uh, it is supposed to make you feel a little on edge. Canadian comedy does that. I I like that aspect of it. But as the show progressed past the first season, there was a sweetness that was brought into it without losing that edge. And I think it's worth a watch.
0: Okay, well, that that is the definition of a perfect final thought. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, you know what, you can reach out to us because what you'll find is if you reach out to us, not only will we read it, We'll respond. Right. And you might even get some of your ideas on the show.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So go at Twitter. At, I'm sorry, at, at guardians.otr. And remember to subscribe to get the latest episode on your favorite podcast app. And give us a rating. Tell your friends. Give us a review. We read the reviews too. Some of those make it into the show as well in, in, in things that we talk about. Check out our website at guardians-republic.com.
0: We're really grateful you're joining us every week, and we'll be back with a new episode after Super Tuesday next week.
1: See ya.